Welcome to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast, the resource for parents and students navigating the college planning process. Felicia Gopal, founder of collegefundingresource.com and creator of the College Decision Navigator System, talks with world-class college planning experts who openly and honestly share the triumphs and challenges families face every day in helping their children get into and pay for the colleges of their choice. We want you to feel like you're sitting down with our experts and getting their best ideas without paying their considerable consulting fees. So sit back and relax as Felicia interviews others about the issues and concerns of selecting colleges, competing for a coveted place in a class, and ultimately paying for the colleges that admit your kids. Hello, this is Felicia Gopal of College Funding Resource, and I have with me again Renee Sasso, who's going to be interviewing me about some different kinds of strategies to reduce the high cost of college, either by various different strategies or some knowledge about how the whole college planning process works so that you are in a better position to keep more of your money in your pocket. I'd like you to join me in welcoming Janae Sasso, the host of Protect the American Dream. Janae, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right, great. So I'm really just kind of turn it over to you and let you ask some questions, and then we'll kind of get started. Sure, sure. Well, you know, college is one of those things that all of us parents out there are trying to figure out how the heck are we going to pay that bill. <laughs> and when you listen to the news, you constantly hear that costs are rising. And I'm wondering, is college still affordable, or is it just going to be for, you know, a certain class of people? Well, that's a really good question, and certainly a lot of parents are feeling like college is becoming less and less affordable. In fact, there was a study done by the National Center for Public Policy and Higher Education, and basically what they did is they ranked states on affordability. And I have to tell you, the bad news about that study was that the highest grade that any school got was a C minus. I mean, any state Ah. got was was C minus. So for parents who are feeling that paying for college is becoming more and more unaffordable, that study basically supports that. But here's the good news. The good news mm-hmm. is there are still things that you can do and there are still strategies that you may be able to employ. And in my private practice, I actually have at least 153 different strategies that I talk to my parents about in order to reduce the high cost of college and keep more of their money in their pocket. So that's really what I wanted to talk about. Wow. Now, the C, C minus, C plus, Yeah, that, mean? that means that states, like states of New Jersey, California, New York, whatever that state is, that means that they basically looked at the cost of the college versus what parents were taking home and said, you know what, for most parents, paying for college is not an affordable reality. It's not easy for them to do. They can always pay for their kids' education, but it's not easy. I remember when I was going away to college now, I'm starting to date myself, but it was about two or three thousand dollars to complete my education for both semesters, room and board, all the rest of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Those days for a lot of people are long gone. It's now yeah. costing, you know, fifteen to forty thousand dollars or more 
to pay okay. for a college education. So it's really important that you are exposed to some of the ideas that I'm going to be sharing with you today about how you might be able to reduce the out-of-pocket cost of college. So I am assuming that financial aid would be one of those 153 ways. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to apply. You know, it's surprising to me how many parents don't even apply. They just assume that they're not going to qualify for any financial aid, and so they don't apply. I actually was working with a family a couple of years ago, and basically what was happening is they weren't planning on applying for financial aid because they weren't expecting to get any financial aid. But okay. I suggested that they go ahead and apply, and they ended up getting about $5,000 worth of financial aid. And if you extrapolate that over four years, that's $20,000 that they get to keep in their pockets as opposed to spending it on college. So if they hadn't applied for financial aid, they would have never gotten that $5,000 and they would have had to pay that $20,000. For people that are more well-to-do, that may be saying, you know, is it really even worth my while? Are you suggesting that no matter what your income, that you should apply? You know, I really do believe that to be true. And the reason is not necessarily because you're going to get all sorts of need-based scholarships and you're not going to get need-based scholarships or need-based grants, but it does preserve some options and opportunities. Uh, quite a few schools, the only way that you're going to get any even merit-based aid is you've got to apply for financial aid. So if you don't okay. apply, you can't get it. So even oh. if your stutter daughter is really smart and talented, as every parent believes their children to be, if you don't apply for financial aid, they can't award it to you. Okay. Okay. All right. So how do you suggest we choose a school? I mean, do you know ahead of time about what the school can offer you, or is it something that you have to wait well, I'm a big proponent of not waiting. You should definitely know and have an idea of what type of financial aid you're going to get. Well, you may not know about any merit-based aid, but you should certainly know about any need-based aid that you qualify for. So for parents out there, one of the quickest, fastest things that they can do right now is they can go to www.fasa for the number four, caster, C-A-S-T-E-R, Dot ed dot gov. And basically, the FAFSA forecaster, if you put in your information, it will give you an idea of how much financial aid you would get from the federal government. That's the first step. The second step is for you to also go online and look for an EFC calculator, Expected Family Contribution Calculator, which will tell you how much you're going to be expected to pay for your children's education, your son or daughter's education, no matter what school okay. they're going on. Based on those two pieces of information, then you have a pretty good idea of what the federal government is going to offer you, what you're going to be expected to pay. And then the next okay. step in that process is ask the schools, what's their policy? Not all schools are going to be good partners. What I mean by that is you want to look for schools that will pay 75 to 100% of your needs. So if the school costs $30,000 and your expected family contribution and financial aid comes to about $15,000, that means that you've got about $15,000 thousand dollars worth of financial need. You want to look for a school that's going to put together a package that provides you with 75 to 100 percent of that financial need. 
some schools are not going to be in a position to do that, and they may come up with something significantly less. If they come up with something significantly less and you decide that you're going to still pursue that school, then that means that that money is going to come out of your own wallet. So I think it's a good idea to find out what the policy of the school is in terms of meeting the financial need that you have. That's really great information to have before you're applying to schools. The follow-up to that, and it really kind of goes hand-in-hand with that, is you really want to apply to schools where you're in the top 20% of the admitting class. What you'll find is schools will put together better packages for better students. It kind of follows. I mean, one of the things that happens in life is you get a better salary if you're perceived to be a better employee than X who might be sitting right there next to you. So it follows that they do that also in college. So those students that they're really trying to attract and have come to their school who fit into the category of the best that they're offering admittance to, they often will put together better financial aid packages. And how will you know that? Well, you'll ask the school, what's the, you know, the typical grade point average in the top 20%? And you'll know whether or not you fit into that category. You also will ask the questions, you know, what's the median or what's the average SAT or ACT scores so that you're in the middle of that. You want to make sure that you're in the top 20% so that you're in the position to get the best financial aid package out there. So you want to apply and you want to make sure that you're in the top 20%. So you need to be, I would say, uh, very prepared before you fall in love with a school to find out exactly if this is a good partner. I like the fact that you said that you should be looking for a partner because most of the time I don't think that parents or students look at colleges, especially the financial aid office, as a partner. We almost look at them like they're the enemy. (laughs) Well, you know, and I think it's often because parents and students haven't taken the time to prepare themselves for this whole process. They're remembering how it was when they went to school 20 years ago where you just filled out the forms and then you went and then you took whatever financial aid they offered. If it wasn't as much as you were hoping, oftentimes you still could find a way to make it happen. You know, the student could work, which but it's much harder when schools are costing $40,000 as opposed to the $3,000 I was talking about. You know, I could very easily get a job where I might make $1,000 over the school year, and that would make mm-hmm. a huge difference in paying for my education. It's much harder to come up with a job that will provide you with $20,000 if you're a full-time student. So that's a much much, much harder thing to do. So it's really about educating yourself prior to going into that because the educated consumers in this area are going to find that they pay significantly less than those people who just wait to the last minute and apply and take whatever is offered. Okay, so with that said, is there really a difference between choosing a state college versus a private college, or does it matter at that point? Well, it does matter. It does matter, and it really kind of goes back to good partners versus schools that may not be good partners for you. You may find that at private colleges, they may be in a position to be a better partner than a public school. That's not always the case, so you can't count on that. But often because they've got endowments and they've got uh, some other resources, they may be able to put together a package where they're able to meet 75 to 100% of your 
need as opposed to a state college may not be in a position to do that. But, you know, I just had my nieces applying to schools right now, and she's looking at some schools in New York. And one of the schools that she applied to, despite the fact that it is a private school, did not put together a particularly good financial aid package for her. So in this particular case, you can't count on a private school being a good partner. You have to ask the questions to find out if they're going to be a good partner, and you apply to those schools. Trying to advise her when she was coming out here that she should apply to Princeton. Princeton right now, for somebody with her grade point average, that's assuming that she got in because it's very, very competitive, puts together financial aid packages that meets all of your need, 100% of your total need. In addition to that, they um, decided a couple years ago that people who are in kind of the lower to middle income families were going to not have any student loans in their package. So to be able to graduate in this day and age without any student loans, that's huge. So that's also part of what goes into a good partner is what types of financial aid are they going to give you? Is it going to be mostly? Because I've I've seen schools, I've definitely seen schools that say that they meet 100% of your financial need. Well, that's really great information, but what you may find out that 100% of all of your need is student loans. Well, that's not necessarily very helpful for you. You know, you want the free money, you want the grants, you want the scholarship, you even want work study, but you don't necessarily want 100% of the money that you need to be coming from student loans. So, again, you've got to ask the questions prior because knowledge is power in this area. Oh, definitely. I mean, just like you said, I know when I went to college, you just took whatever they gave you and you did your best to come up with what the the shortage was and I hope that you could make it. But with tuitions being so high, you really don't want to go in there and have to be blindsided. So are there any things, discounts that you can get from colleges? Do they offer? I mean, I know you can't take a coupon to the financial aid office, but do they cut you a break at any time? Actually, they do, and that's one of the things that I really want parents to really understand is some schools are in positions that they can offer tuition discounts. A tuition discount is basically a discount from the retail cost of college. So if you looked in the on the Internet and the school says that it is $25,000, they may say that we're really only going to charge you $18,000. So they're giving you a $7,000 discount in that particular thing. It's not advertised. It's typically for students that they're really trying to attract. One of the things that happened in my home state is there was a local private school that was trying to boost its enrollment. And often tuition discounts are being offered by schools that are really trying to attract either a particular type of student or to get their enrollment numbers up. Because oftentimes one of the things that happens is students apply to multiple different schools and they may be admitted to multiple different schools. So tuition discount might be offered to a student in order to get them to consider going to that school as opposed to what other schools they might have been admitted to. So in the case that I was sharing about is a lot of students, instead of going to a school, a private college that was local, they were looking at and attending, applying to schools that were in some of the surrounding states and going out of state. And so what this school was really trying to do is 
trying to get some of those very talented and qualified students to instead consider them more highly than they might at other schools. And so they were offering anywhere between a seven dollars to $10,000 tuition discount for the students wow. to consider going there. So again, that's the information that you would typically get if you worked with a person like myself. Schools don't often tell you, oh yeah, we're offering tuition discounts, <laughs> but they are out there and they are available. Wow, there's a lot of information that I, I'm sure that many parents are missing because if I had known what I know now, what you're telling me now, I would have did a little bit harder research on finding a better partner because I did not have the best partner for college. So would you say that a child or a student that has the better grades are going to be offered the better packages, or is there certain things that students should be doing when they're in their high school years so that they're in a better position to negotiate? Because it sounds to me like if you have the better grade point average, then you're in a better position to negotiate the terms of your partnership. You know, schools hate the word negotiation, okay? They just hate that word. So I never use the word negotiation. But what I will tell you is schools are in competition. And everybody wants the best students that they can fill their student body with. So schools will put together financial aid packages that are an incentive for you to maybe move them up the list. One of the other strategies that I usually suggest people consider is say that the colleges in the United States are divided in Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 3 schools. Your son or daughter is certainly qualified to go to a Tier 1 school but they also apply to a Tier 2 school and get in, and they get admitted to some Tier 1 schools. One of the things that you may find is a Tier 2 school might put together a very competitive financial aid package, knowing that your son or daughter could certainly go and do very well at a Tier 1 school. So it's not necessarily about a negotiation, but it's about understanding how schools view themselves. And they would know what other schools you're applying to because when you fill out the FAFSA form, the free application for federal student aid form, you're indicating on that form where else you're sending your financial aid information. So they can certainly see that you're applying to their competitors. So if you were applying to USC, for instance, you would also put UCLA on the schools that you wanted to send your information to because those guys are like crosstown rivals, you know, and there are other schools that may be crosstown rivals. So you would always make sure if you were applying to this school that you would also say that you wanted to send the grades to that school. Now, you may have a preference for one school versus the other, but again, in this arena, you want to keep your cards pretty close to your vest and see how it all kind of plays out rather than say, I only want to go to USC, I'm not applying to UCLA, and you may not get the best package you could have gotten out of USC. So it's just about understanding how schools think in terms of they know they're in competition, and if there's something about your student that they really want to incent them to come, they'll put together a better financial aid package for them. Okay. Now, I know you said you had about 153 strategies. <laughs> I'm amazed by that. We don't, we don't have time to go through all of those. I'm yeah, just going to take you through some. <laughs> what are some of the top ones that you're going to share with us this evening? Well, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is if you're going to apply to a state college, you want to go to the state college in your state. 
I was uh, working with a family a couple of years ago, and uh, their son was a resident of New Jersey, but went to a public okay. school in the state of Vermont. Okay. He got some financial aid. However, there's always going to be the out-of-state tuition that you have to pay if you are going to a state college that is not your home state. And that mm-hmm. typically is not covered by financial aid. So there was about $10,000 that he added to their college bill because he decided mm-hmm. to go to a school that was not in his home state. So if you're looking at going to a state college, you want to make sure it's your state college because why pay an additional $10,000 that you don't have to for a college that you could probably get in your own home state? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very important. One of the other things I also talk to students and parents about is taking AP tests in their high school years, generally in their senior year in high school, or taking the CLEP test, which is the college-level examination program. Both of them allow you to either get credit or advanced standing in college, which means that you will either get credit in college or they'll allow you to be moved up. So for a CLEP, you can get up to 3 to 12 college credits, which will allow you to enter up to a sophomore. So if you don't have to pay an extra, again, we're talking about fifteen to $40,000 and above, if you don't have to pay mm-hmm. that for one year, that can make a huge difference. So if your school offers AP classes, you definitely want to go ahead and take the AP test. Typically, you have to get a score of uh, three or above, but the only way you're going to know whether or not those grades are going to be sufficient is contacting the schools that you're interested in applying for, finding out what types of grades you're going to have to get in order to get the credit or the advanced standing. But again, if you can miss or not attend a year of college, that's huge, and it's a huge savings for parents. You know, the test costs about $65 a piece, and I don't think there's any college out there. I may be wrong, but there's very few colleges out there where you can take a college credit for $65. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if, yeah. You, if you could do it in a test and test out of things, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it can save considerable amounts of money for students who are prepared and have done the work. Oh, yeah, that makes total sense. I would have never have thought of it. I wish I had known you when I was in applying because I sure took a lot of AP classes. Well, you know, it's funny because I don't remember when I was taking AP classes that they encouraged me to take the AP test. I mean, I took the AP classes, but I didn't take any tests (laughs) after them. So it's probably a good thing you didn't know me because I wouldn't have told you (laughs) that goes along with the AP class because I didn't know about it because I didn't take any AP tests. And I don't remember anybody that I went to school with. I mean, maybe there were some other people who knew stuff that I didn't know, but they certainly weren't sharing it. And I was only in classes yeah. with people who were headed for college. So I, I imagine somebody would have had to say something say about something, that. Yeah. You know, so it, it's a different day and age. And anything that you can do, again, maybe at $3,000 for a full year of college, <laughs> maybe, maybe AP wasn't quite as important as it is now when it costs exactly. considerably more. Exactly. So what are some of the other strategies? Well, one of the things, one of the most costly things after your tuition is your room and board. So I often will suggest for parents who are really kind of struggling with the cost of college, why don't you have your son or daughter become a resident assistant? 
you know, I think of it kind of like work-study. It's a little bit more involved than work-study. But the fact that you can usually get room and board paid for as opposed to having your mom and dad pay for it out of their own pocket, I think that makes sense. Now, it adds some income to your taxable wages, but for most students, they're not making so much money that it makes a big difference that they're getting taxable income off of being a resident assistant. And it saves mm-hmm. the parents eight to $10,000. A couple of years ago, I was working with a family that was really just struggling with paying for their college. And I suggested to the mom that she have her son work as a resident assistant. And when she first proposed it to him, he said, no, I'm not going to. I just want to be in school and be a student. And she had to have a conversation with him about you will not be in school <laughs> if you're not a resident assistant because this is really very, very challenging for me and I really want you to continue to go and I'd really like you to stay where you are, but I cannot afford this additional $10,000 in this particular case. So he's been doing it for the last couple of years and he's stopped complaining. He realizes it's not as tough and challenging and it's not going to take that much away from his schooling. So he's been able to save his mother when you think about it. By the time he's going to be finished, he'll have done it for three years. He's saved his mom $30,000. So for a parent that's really struggling, an additional $30,000 that they don't have to pay that they didn't have makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, I'll take it. I think we all will. We all do it. So I like the option of becoming a resident assistant. I think it can make a huge difference for some families if the parents and the students are willing to accept what it would take to be in that. And, of course, not all students are accepted as resident assistants. Some places it's more competitive than others. But at his, you know, he's got the kind of personality. He's outgoing. It makes a lot of sense for him to do it, and it really made a difference for his mother. I think it's just about finding what works for your particular situation and going for it. Yeah, it really does. The next option that I really want people to think about is sometimes there's things like AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps will allow you, if you are a full-time volunteer with AmeriCorps, then you can basically get up to $4,725 that you can use when you complete your assignment that you can use to offset the cost of college. So if you are the type of student that is always volunteering anyway, this may make a lot of sense for your circumstance. Mm-hmm. You get 47.25 for each year that you are part of the program. So if you were in it for three years, you would have over $12,000 over $13,000, actually, that you would be able to use to pay for your college education. So I think that makes a difference. And you do receive a small stipend while you're assuming it. It's not like you're working completely for free. You are getting paid something, uh, but it's not a lot. And really, it's about being a volunteer. The other alternative is, of course, the military. I came from a family where my father had done, you know, 20-plus years in the Air Force, so being in the military is something that I highly considered. But one of my girlfriends came from a very similar background, and she ended up going into the military, into the officer program. She got admitted to Harvard Med School, and they ended up paying for 
the time that she was in Harvard Med School, and she had to give, I think, three years, maybe four years after she graduated to work in the military. And again, it's something that both of us were very comfortable with because we had both grown up that way. And she was a gynecologist, so she wasn't going to go into combat or anything like that. So it can make a lot of sense for certain people to consider going into military service and getting the GI Bill or having the military pay for your college. So that is certainly an option that I want people to consider. The next thing I really wanted to talk to you about is the fact that not all kids are ready for college when it's time to go off to college in terms of a four-year college. I have a really good girlfriend out in California, and her son hadn't been very serious when he was in high school and was getting ready to go off to college. And she was talking with me, and she was just like, well, you know, I'm not sure I really want to spend ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 for a kid that was, you know, bringing home C's and D's in high school. And I was just like, well, I can understand that. What are you going to do? She's like, I think what we're going to do is we're going to have him go to a junior college, give him a couple mm-hmm. more years to kind of mature, sure. and then go on to a four-year degree if that's what he wanted to do. Well, I'm telling you, this kid turned around in community college, just wow. really found out what he was really interested in. And unfortunately, his high school didn't have anything. He's just really interested in real estate. Everything about real estate, he went and took his real estate license and wants to get his broker's license. And it was for him about finding what he was interested in and then considering going on and getting a four-year degree. And actually, at this point, they're not even sure if he's going to get a four-year degree because he's successfully selling real estate right now. So he's not sure that he needs the four-year degree. Of course, his mother believes that a four-year degree will give you more options, so she's still talking to him about that. But she's not pushing because she says, it doesn't make any sense for me to try and get him to go for a four-year degree if he's not serious about it. Again, that's just money I, I don't need to be spending on something that he's not committed to doing. She goes, I want my son to be committed, and I'd be more than happy to support this kid as opposed to a kid that came out of high school. So for students who aren't ready to go on to college, that might be an option. Or you can also use it for, you know, it allows you to get a lot of the classes that you have to take, what I call the core classes at the junior college level, where it's much less expensive than taking them at a four-year college. So it may be an option. Of course, the thing you have to be careful about if you decide to make that kind of commitment is you've got to make sure that the classes that you're taking at the two-year community college are transferable at the four-year college. And again, the only way you're going to know that is to call ask. and find out. <laughs> You've got to call and find out. You've got to ask. You know, it's the same message over and over again. You've got to call. You've got to ask questions. You've got to know what's going on before you're going off to college. This is not the time to be winging it. Winging it will cost you thousands and thousands of dollars more than it needs to. So I, what I hear you saying is basically you have to have communication between the parent and the student and communication between the parent, the student, and the college that they're choosing to apply to so that they make sure that they get all the benefits that are coming with applying to those different schools. Absolutely, because last week I had the opportunity to do a presentation and there was a woman in the audience who raised her hand and I was talking about the partnership, the partnership between parents, students, and 
the schools, and she was talking about one of the things that I'm really hearing from you is that communication is key. So she shared with us a, an example of when communication hadn't worked. And what happened in her particular case was she was a great student. She was a great student. She figured out in her senior year where she wanted to go. She applied. She got admitted. She's all ready to go. She's sitting down with her parents saying it's time to send the money to go off to the school. Give me all the money that you've been saving so I can go off to college. And they looked at her and they're just like, we haven't saved anything for you. You know, she's thinking that she's getting ready to go off to college, that they could not afford to send her to college. And that was devastating for her. Of course, she was able to rebound and she was able to complete her degree. That's the good news. But the bad news is that she had to go through that circumstance in the first place. So it's important that parents have these conversations ongoingly with their kids. I tell my kids now, I'm saving for your college. You need to get good grades. You need to get ready. You need to do all that sort of stuff. And mommy and daddy are putting money aside for you to attend college. So it's about having communication is very, very important in this area because otherwise there's unmet expectations and bad feelings on the part of the parent, the student, typically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. Now, are there any other strategies? You know, you hear a lot on the news about the 529 college plans and all that sort of thing. Are those one of your strategies that you would suggest for parents and students? Well, certainly. I like 529 plans. They're a great vehicle for people who've got time to save. You put money into a 529 plan, it grows tax-deferred, and as long as you use it for your student's education, then it's tax-free. So there's nothing not to like about that circumstance. The other thing about those is the fact that if, for whatever reason, child number one, Susie, decides that she doesn't want to go to college, then you can just change the beneficiary on it to child number two, Betty, and Betty can go to college with the same money that you've just saved for Susie. So that's a huge advantage about 529 plans. So I really like them. The other thing to remember about this is um, oftentimes parents will have had money in their kids' names. So in my family, when my girls were born, they got money for being born from various different relatives. And as their birthdays come around, they get little checks from their various different relatives. And so I put it into account. And so say that we fast forward until my daughters are getting ready to go to college and they have now about $10,000 in their account. Well, if the money was in my name, only about 5.6% of it would be includable in my expected family contribution, or in my case, $560. However, if I leave it in my daughter's names, then it's about 20% or $2,000. So basically, in that particular circumstance, I'm losing about 1500 a little less than $1,500 of financial aid I might be eligible for by leaving the money in the student's name. Now, you can't just take the money out of the student's name. So for all the parents who were thinking, okay, I've got money in my kid's name, I'm about to take it out <laughs> and spend it, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you don't want the money to be in the student's name when you're applying to college. So Typically in your junior year or the first half of your senior year, you want to be in a position to move it out. But there's lots of things that you can do. You have to use it for the benefit 
of your students. So one of the things that you may want to consider is you might consider if you were planning on them going in their senior trip, you may use some of the money to pay for the student trip. If you were planning on buying them a computer, you might use some of the money for a computer. If you were planning okay. on buying them a car, you might use some of the money for a car. Now, I'm not telling you or giving you tax advice. That's something that you probably want to talk to your tax advisor about. But this is an area where it's important that you and your tax advisor understand that money in the student's name, it can be very very costly mistake if you're going to be in a situation where you're going to need to get financial aid. If that's the case, you may want to move it out. Now, I will tell you another story about why you might want to keep it in. There was a gentleman that I was talking to, and he had a son that was getting ready to go off to college and had gotten an inheritance whatever it was, right before college, and the student loan interest was so low that he decided that it just made better sense to borrow the money while the student was in school and keep the money in the account and let it grow. So by the time Mm -hmm. he graduated, there was more money. Now, at that point, the father said, well, we can take some of this money and pay off your student loans or your loan payments are so low, you might want to continue to pay them and continue to let your money grow. So it really kind of depends on circumstances. There's no right answer as far as that's concerned. You've got to take a look at all the various different options. And certainly working with a company like mine, that's one of the things that we would help you evaluate. What's the right choice? Do we take it all out or do we let it ride because we think that our money is going to grow more than it's going to cost to perhaps borrow as an option? Wow. So it's really about assessing your individual circumstances and then kind of navigating from there. Yeah, because there's no right answer. There's about 500 people in the whole United States that specialize this and have a designation, the Certified College Planning Specialist designation. So there's only about 500 of us across the United States who have this designation. And if you ask any five of us how would they solve the question of one particular circumstance, I'm sure you would get five different answers. You'll find some things will be in common, but you may not end up with the same answer for every single. I would not expect that every single one of us would come up with the same sets of solutions. Some of us are more comfortable with certain solutions than other solutions. Some of us are more aggressive than others. You know, I mean, it's all across the board. So there's no right answer. The question is, what is the family going to be comfortable with? We also usually work with their tax advisor in terms of if we're suggesting something that involves some sort of tax planning, we want to work with their tax advisor and get their buy-in on, you know, this is going to be something that I would be comfortable signing off on. And then, of course, the family has to assess what they're willing to do for their son or daughter's education. So there's no right answer. There's no one answer in this area. There's lots of different ways to get to the end of reducing the high cost of college and keeping more of your money in your pocket. Well, I would say so, since you can offer us 153 ways. (laughs) I would say that there has to be something out there for each and every family. There has to be a strategy that each and every family can utilize in order to, you know, reduce that cost. Absolutely. You know, one of the last things that I wanted to kind of talk about is there's lots of grandparents out there who want to help pay for education, they're in a position that they can help. And sometimes they'll do it 
in terms of putting money into a 529 plan. That's what my mother has done for my kids is she's put some money into 529 plans and every birthday, Christmas, she puts a little bit more in so they'll have that money available. In addition, one client that I was working with had savings bonds and had been saving savings bonds for a number of years. The savings bonds were actually in the name of him and his children who were all grown in college educated. (laughs) And so uh, he was looking at what can he do. And one of the things that I suggested is maybe he might want to re-register those in the name of him and his grandchildren so that if he passes, they become the grandchildren's and presumably they would be in a lower tax bracket. So if they were to cash them in, then it would be at their tax bracket. So he really liked that idea and was able to move a considerable amount of money, about $40,000, into the name of his grandchildren. It was about four grandchildren, so each got about $10,000. So that's, again, a great strategy. So what I tell parents is if there are people out there who want to help, let them help you. And if you don't know how they can help you, then you might want to sit down again with a person like myself and have us walk you through what are some of the options out of those 153 options what (laughs) could grandma and granddad take advantage of that would help you pay for college because you don't want them to do anything that may cost you money so sometimes you'll have grandma and grandma who have money in their name for the benefit of their grandchildren. Typically, those are called UGMA accounts or UTMA account, uniform gift to minors accounts, or uniform transfers to minor accounts, depending upon what state you're in. If money is in grandpa's name for the benefit of grandkids, that could potentially disqualify you for some financial aid. So typically, when I'm talking to parents, I ask questions, do you think your mom and dad has got some money in the kids' names? And they're just like, well, they said they have. It's just like, well, do you know how they hold the money? Typically, they have no idea because a lot of parents are not comfortable talking to their parents about money. We'll talk more about, you know, our sex lives in this country than we will about money, which is kind of curious. But it's one of the true facts about this whole circumstance is sometimes what grandpa or grandma meant to do could put you in a position of disqualifying you for financial aid. So if you're going to need to get financial aid, you're going to want to have a conversation with grandma and grandpa to see what they've done and how it might affect you for financial aid purposes. Well, you gave us a wealth of information, and I tell you, if you have, how many strategies did you give us? I I, I was trying to give you about 13 different strategies. You know, I gave you 13 different strategies today in terms of things that you might want to think about, things that might help you reduce the out-of-pocket cost of college. Wow, and that I'm sure that helped a lot of people because I know it helped me just so I could get my bearings on my children are still young yet, but college will be approaching sooner than later. So I can definitely see myself implementing a lot of these different strategies. And it's so funny you brought up about the grandparents because my mother-in-law, who passed away a couple of years ago, she set up one of those UGMA accounts, and my goodness, You can't do anything with it, and she's deceased now, so it's just kind of sitting there. (laughs) So you got me thinking of how that's going to possibly affect our bottom line, but the information you shared was very good and insightful. Are there any final thoughts that you would like to give us parents? (laughs) 
Well, I think that there's probably a couple things that I'd really want to share with you. One is, know before you're kind of going into this, what you're getting out of it. And what I mean by that is, take the time to go online, fill out the FAFSA forecaster, know what financial aid you're going to get, look for an EFC calculator, know what your expected family contribution is going to be prior to applying to schools. If you've started saving for college, continue to save for college. If you haven't started, go ahead and start saving for college. But the thing I really want to leave you with is don't do it at the expense of retirement. There's always ways to finance college, but there's no way to finance your retirement. So, again, think about your priorities, and the priority has to be you and your own retirement and your own self before your kid's education. Now, I know that that is counterintuitive to how you feel about your children. Mm -hmm. A lot of us want to do everything that we can for our children, but the reality is if you don't take care of yourself, then your kids will be taking care of you in the Mm -hmm. future. And nobody wants to be in that position where our children are having to support us because we haven't taken care of ourselves. The other thing I want to leave you with is realize you don't have to save everything. I have a really good girlfriend. Her daughter wants to go to a school down south, and she's currently 12 years old. And when I extrapolated out the current cost of college to how much it was going to cost in about six years when she was going off to school, it was $157,000 her parents needed to save. I'm telling you, it took her breath away. She was like, I knew it was a bunch, but I didn't know it was $157,000. And I said, okay, now breathe. Remember, you don't have to save everything. You know, you can make a decision that you're going to pay for the first two years of your son or daughter's college education, or I'm going to pay for the last two years, or I'm going to pay for what I can afford. You do not have to save for everything. You need to do what is going to be comfortable for your budget and for your family and for your cash flow, but realize you don't have to save everything. I want you to go out and start looking for schools that are good partners. And for me, the way that I'd say a school is a good partner is they have to be in a position where they make 75 to 100% of your financial need. If they're not doing that, then they may not be a good financial partner for you for college. So you need to think about that prior to applying to college. The other thing is, I really just wanted to kind of leave you with something. Alliance Bernstein did a study a couple of years ago, and a couple of years ago they were asking parents, where they thought the money was going to come from to pay for college. And they talked to the parents, and the parents thought that most of the money that they were going to get to pay for college was going to come from scholarships and grants. And the unfortunate truth about that is that's not true. You and your family are the first line of defense as far as paying for your son or daughter's education. So it's going to come out of your pocket first before it comes out of the schools or the federal government's pocket in terms of grants and scholarships. They also said that 97% of financial aid administrators think that parents have a false sense of security that colleges will help them cover costs. They talked to 200 financial aid administrators, and they said that 97% of them think that parents have a false sense of security. So, again, if you haven't started to save, go ahead and save. If you've already started to save, continue to save, because the unfortunate truth is the money that you're going to need to pay for college is probably not going to come from scholarships 
and grants. They said about 92% of parents overestimate the amount of scholarship and grant money their children will receive. 92% of them overestimate. So, again, I'm not trying to depress parents. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm really just trying to share with you the reality of it as opposed to the fantasy that perhaps you've been considering yourself under up to this point. I want at the end of this call for parents to understand that there are various different strategies that they can take advantage of. They've just got to learn how this process works and apply it to their benefit. I want parents to end up paying the wholesale cost of college as opposed to the retail cost. And the difference between the two is an educated parent. An educated parent will pay the wholesale cost of college as opposed to an uneducated parent will end up paying the retail cost of college. So it's important that you understand how this process works, how you fit into the process, and how you can have the process work for you. So parents, talk to your students, encourage them to get the best grades possible so that they will qualify to be in the top 20% of the admitting classes at the schools that they're selecting. Talk to them, encourage them strongly if they're considering going to public colleges that they go to their local, their in-state public colleges as opposed to out-of-state colleges. If they're looking for opportunities, if they become teachers or social workers, sometimes they have programs like loan forgiveness. You want to look for loan forgiveness programs that you may be able to take advantage of. So there's lots of great information out there, so go out and get it. It will make a difference in your bottom line, and it will save you probably, I think I can really reasonably say, thousands of dollars over your son or daughter's education. And remember, this information, if you have multiple children, is applicable to child number two, child number three, and any other children you might have past that. So the information that you're learning today and I'm sharing with you today will make a difference not just for the person that you're looking at and you're concentrating on today, but all the children that kind of followed. So that's kind of what I would share as my final thoughts. Oh, wow. Well, I thank you for all your wealth of knowledge, and I would love to be able to sit down and hear the other hundred and something strategies. No, you don't. (laughs) You really just want to know about the ones that will make a difference in your life. You don't need to necessarily know about all 153. So thank you very much for spending some time with me and letting me share with the parents that are listening some information about how they might reduce the out-of-pocket cost of college. Thank you for sharing. All right, Janae, we'll talk again. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the College Experts Talk podcast. We hope you'll join us again for our next podcast where we will continue to legally share college insider information with parents and students from the insiders themselves. For more information and to instantly download your free copy of the College Funding Resources Report titled Five Strategies That Parents Need to Start Using Today to Cut Their College Costs Tomorrow, visit www.collegefundingresource.com. That's www.collegefundingresource.com. This is Mike Elmore for the College Experts Talk Podcast.